Have you ever heard of this thing called the gift of singleness? Anybody ever heard that term? Well, here's the gift. God has two gifts for single people. He will either give you a spouse, that's the first gift, or he will give you contentment. But either way, you do not have inside of yourself what you need as a human being. He will either give you a spouse or he will give you a gift. The gift is not singleness. The gift is contentment. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Now, whether you're married or single, it's easy to think that contentment and fulfillment are found in something other than your current marital status. Well, today, Pastor Trent addresses marrieds and singles alike with five declarations we must make to guarantee contentment whatever our marital status. So let's continue in the Marriage Matters series with the first part of a message, The Matter of Singleness. Here's Pastor Trent. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We've been in this series, Marriage Matters. This is message number eight and the final message in the series, Marriage Matters. And all the single people said, Amen. Man, it's about time we got rid of this marriage thing, right? Well, uh, we're not going to get rid of the marriage thing, but uh, actually the title of the message today is The Matter of Singleness. And so uh, I, would, I just want to let you know that um, uh, I've mentioned this book before, but uh, this book by Timothy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, has become my number one all-time favorite book on marriage. And uh, I have leaned on it heavily throughout this series. There's so much information in here. I just want to encourage you, you can pick this up. We've got it out at the Resource Center on your way out. But... Um, it is so important that we understand something about singleness. Now, there, there's one thing that's true in here about every person. Every person in here has not nor will be married. About 91% of the population will be at some point married. But everybody in this room has been or will be again single. Don't you want to know who the single people are in here? Let's find out. Now, if you're single and you're not ashamed of it, would you please stand? Everybody just stand up if you're, it's okay. You just don't want to be anonymous. It's all right. Just stand there for a second. Now, you know, we could solve this real quick, okay? I mean, we could just start matching them up and, and we could just have a mass wedding in here. All in favor of that? And all the people shot under this. Somebody's like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. And I, I could do that. Okay, thanks so much. You guys can sit down. But, um, you know, my job as a preacher is to make God's word look really, really good and to get you to obey it. So if I'm going to preach a message on singleness and make singleness look really, really good, I need a little disclaimer here at the beginning. Because if I do my job really, really good today, some of the married people in here might want to be single. And so I, I just want to make a disclaimer here at the beginning, okay? If you are married, God wants every married person to remain married to the person you are currently married to for the rest of your life. Everybody understand that? Okay? Because the truth of the matter is, I mean, there are a lot of single people in here who want to be married. Now, they won't tell you, but there are actually some married people in here that would like to be single. Uh, because it's really not going that well. Now, that's what we dealt with in the first seven messages of this series. So as we get into it here, let me just tell you what uh, the, the bottom line of the message is. If you can just let this sink in, here's the bottom line. You are not ready for the journey of marriage, nor the journey of singleness, until you look to something outside of marriage for your happiness. You understand that? 
You are not ready for the journey of marriage nor the journey of singleness until you look to something outside of marriage for your happiness. In the year 1960, 72% of the adult population of the United States was married. Today, only 49% of the adult population of the United States is married. For the first time in the history of our country, there are more single adults in America than there are married adults. It's, it's happened for the first time. 40% of the people in the United States believe that marriage is actually obsolete. So they're coming up with all kinds of alternatives. They still want love, they still want romance, they still want relationships, but they don't want marriage. Uh, Chris Rock, the comedian, summarized it. He said, here's your two options. You can either be single and lonely or married and bored. And, and that's kind of the prevailing culture as, as, as we look at marriage. Well, God's word has something different to say, to say about both marriage and singleness. Why, why is everybody so down on marriage and why are people waiting longer to get married? I believe it has a lot to do with the fact that as Americans, for the most part, we have forsaken our vertical relationship with God, therefore, we are longing to have this hole in our heart filled by horizontal romantic love relationships. And what we're here to understand today is until you get that met, need met vertically, you will go on a very futile search horizontally looking for love. So we need to know what the Bible has to say about this. There's never been a society that has placed so little emphasis on marriage, and so much emphasis on finding romantic love. And, and there's actually some biblical basis to finding romantic love. As a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 22, it says this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. All right, now guys, that was a perfect opportunity for you. I teed you up and you whiffed on that, okay? That was the best place ever to insert an amen, okay? So I'm gonna back it up again. I'm gonna give you another shot at that, okay? Let me read that verse again. He who finds a wife finds a good thing amen. and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen. That's right. I know it's Father's Day. It's all about you today, but hey, man, come on. Get, get in the game, all right? You, you, there's a lot at stake here. It's a good thing. The Bible gives approval to a man finding a wife. Now, the problem is the Bible doesn't tell us where to find her or how to find her. It just says if you find one, that's a great thing. Now, we're going to find out that it's actually from the Lord that it's given to a man to have a wife. But the man that wrote this verse has an interesting marital background. Do you understand that? Uh, the, the, the King Solomon who wrote this verse, he had 300 wives. And 700 cucumbers or something. I don't understand that whole relationship thing. But anyway, this is an interesting thing because he was, he was supposed to be the wisest man on earth, but he had some really dysfunctional relationships with women. And he went on three chapters later to write this verse. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Uh, yeah, now see, that was not the place for the amen. That... My friend, you need to go back and listen to the first message in the series and come and catch up with the rest of us. So we need to understand here, God's word is pro-marriage, but it's also pro-singleness. Now, here's what we want to say here today. There's five things that you must be able to say about yourself before you are ready for marriage or for a life of singleness. Five things. Here's the first one. 
I'm realistic. I will give up my search for the perfect soul mate. We're in Matthew chapter 19. The context here is the Pharisees have come to ask Jesus a question about divorce. We found out Jesus didn't want to talk about divorce. He wanted to talk about what? You want to talk about marriage? This is a much better topic. But he goes on to answer their question about divorce and lets them know that there should be no divorce for any reason other than hardness of heart, which shows itself in sexual immorality. We unpacked all of that. And now the Pharisees must have just kind of went away because they didn't, they didn't trap Jesus the way they wanted to. Now Jesus is in a conversation with his disciples. And the disciples have had their ears listening to Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce. And so they come to Jesus, and this is what they say. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 10. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, what was he talking about? That marriage is permanent? That, par- that marriage is risky? Because you face the potential for hurt? If marriage is going to require a bunch of grace and a bunch of mercy and a bunch of forgiveness... This is what they say. If that's the case, it is better not to marry. You know what they were admitting? They were admitting a deficiency in their own soul to do what marriage would require them to do. And they were saying, I don't have the resources for that kind of marriage. And so their conclusion, the only other conclusion they could come to is, we better just isolate ourselves and stay away from marriage altogether and, and we'll just live single. That, now, that's not a good process, prospect for the human race because if everybody lived by that motto, the generation of the disciples would have been the last, right? Because Jesus forbids sexual immorality. So you might look at that and, and we could kind of take a survey. Is the statement the disciples made about marriage true? It is better not to marry. Some of you may be thinking that because some of you have been married and it didn't go so well. And so your only concept about marriage is, yeah, nobody should ever get married. That's terrible. Now, some of you, you're you're thinking, yeah, it, it actually might be a better thing not to get married because I can see a lot of advantages to being single. We're going to kind of unpack all that, but it's important that we don't fall into the trap that the disciples fell into in thinking that marriage is impossible. Now, if you're single and you think that the only way you're going to get married is to get married to a person who is going to fulfill your every desire... They're going to be so much like you and think so much like you. They're always going to agree with you. What you have done is you have fallen into the same trap as the disciples. You think that out there somewhere, there is a perfect individual that will never require you to change. You say things like this. You say, I'm looking for a person who will allow me to be free to be me. Or you might say something like this. I'm looking for someone who will accept me just the way I am. I'm looking for someone who won't try to change me. I'm looking for someone who will fulfill my every desire. You know what you're looking for? You're looking for a mythical soulmate. A mythical soulmate is someone who will always agree with you about everything with whom you have complete compatibility, and the only problem with a soulmate is, drum roll, they don't exist. 
The assumption that there is a soul made out there for you is the most selfish assumption possible. This is what it assumes. That you are so awesome and you are so perfect that you have the ability to fulfill every desire of someone else, that you are someone else's soulmate, and you're the prize they're looking for. The flaw in all of that is the failure to understand how messed up and selfish and flawed you and I really are. You remember back in the 70s or 80s when the divorce laws were all kind of getting mushed down and, and kind of no-fault divorce was the case? Before that, you could actually, you actually had to present grounds for divorce in, in court and prove it. And the ground for divorce that everybody was using was this, we're incompatible. Yes, that is true. We are all incompatible because we're all broken. We're all flawed. We're all selfish There's a Duke University professor, his name is Stanley Hauerwas. He used to teach at Notre Dame, and this is what he says. He says, the assumption is that there is someone just right for you to marry, that if we look closely enough, we will find this right person. This overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we are always going to marry the wrong person. I'm here to encourage you today. He says, we always marry the wrong person. We never fully know who we marry. We just think we do. Even if you think you marry the right person, just give it a while. (laughs) He or she will change. The primary problem is learning how to love and to care the stranger to whom you find yourself married. My wife has lived with at least five different men since we got married and they were all me, right? And the same is true of you. So if you don't like the mate you married, just wait. They might change into somebody better or the other way around. But the the requirement is that we be realistic about this, is that we're always going to marry a broken person. And so don't fall into the trap that the disciples said and says, well, if I can't find the perfect person, I'm just going to kind of isolate myself and just believe marriage is not for me. Marriage is risky but it's worth it. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. What is he saying? God made us for relationship. And if the only person you ever risk loving is yourself, your heart will get hard and you'll never be able to experience everything that God wanted you to learn through the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that's required to have a thriving, enduring, intimate relationship with someone with whom you get close enough to be married. 
You see, marriage assumes closeness that somebody sees beyond the facade. And when they see that, it's going to require grace on their part and forgiveness on their part, even to keep being married to you. And so it's going to require that on your part as well. So be realistic. Whether you're single or married, you're going to enter into a relationship that's going to require a lot of grace. Here's the second thing you must say if you're going to be ready for marriage or singleness. Number two, I'm content. I will not allow my marital status to define my worth. I'm content. Look back at uh, chapter 19 and look in verse 11. Jesus says in, in response to the disciples who said it's better not to marry, Jesus said, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those to whom it is given. What is given? What is Jesus acknowledging? You're right, fellas. You don't have the resources inside of yourself to do marriage God's way. You're going to need something outside of the marriage given to you in order to do the kind of marriage that I just unpacked in these last 12 verses. That's what Jesus is saying. So who's the giver? We know who that is. Who is that? It's God. God gives something. The only other question is, what does he give? Now, if you're single and you were like me, I got married when I was 27 years old. Okay, so I know a little bit of about the longing to be married and and uh, just, is it ever going to happen? And is anybody ever going to love me and validate me? I've fallen into this trap of being discontent with my marital status. And um, in doing that, um, you, you have to understand where the gift comes from and what the gift is. What is the gift? Have you ever heard of this thing called the gift of singleness? Anybody ever heard that term? Have you often noticed that everyone that uses that phrase is married? right? Because if you're single, that does not sound like a gift a lot of times, right? That sounds more like a curse, right? They're like, yeah, it's easy for you to say you've got a spouse. Well, here's the gift. God has two gifts for single people. He will either give you a spouse, that's the first gift, or he will give you contentment. But either way, you do not have inside of yourself what you need as a human being, he will either give you a spouse or he will give you a gift. The gift is not singleness. The gift is contentment. The only thing worse than being single and lonely is being married and lonely. But whether you are single or married, you need the gift of contentment because you will be just as discontent as a married person as you are as a single person if you don't look outside of marriage for what you need for your happiness. Jesus validates contentment. Jesus validates singleness. Jesus was single and very content. The Apostle Paul that wrote half the New Testament was single. We're going to read some of his words in just a minute. And he was content. I used to travel on this team of college-age singles. There were about 20 or 25 of them that we traveled around, and, and we got the opportunity to mentor and disciple them. They were part of our ministry team. And, and uh, I remember this one team that we had. There was a young man on this team who was just probably the most impressive 25-year-old young man that I had ever met. His, his name was Joel. And Joel was godly. 
Joel was industrious. Joel was intelligent and Joel was a hunk. I mean, he was a good looking dude and he had leadership ability. And, and so here was Joel operating on this team with about 12 other single young ladies. All right. All 12 of them were in love at the same time with Joel. And so Andrew and I would have counseling appointments to cycle through the young ladies on the team to know how to deal with their discontentment in the fact that Joel was showing them absolutely no attention. And uh, Joel was a great young guy and he had a godly family. And he, he was talking to his dad one day and he's like, his dad was, was asking Joel about, Joel, when are you ever going to have an interest in getting married. He's like, I'd like some grandkids. And, and are you ever going to pursue a wife? And Joel was just content. He said, oh, dad, I, I'm just, I just, I'm kind of like Adam, you know, before Eve showed up, God just put him to sleep. And I think I've, God just kind of put me to sleep in that area. And, and, and his dad looked at him and says, well, I think, you know, God might have to take a two by four and wake you up. And, uh, because I, you, you know, and, and, but it was kind of a fun conversation. Well, one day Joel and his dad were working on a construction project. They were building a barn or something. And his dad picked up an eight foot two by four and flipped it over his um, shoulder and turned like this. And Joel was four feet away and, uh, knocked, knocked Joel out, um, on the concrete. And when he woke up, when he woke up, um, he had a vision, a revelation of, I'm joking a little bit, but that, he, that afternoon he met a young lady named Marla, to whom he is now married, and uh, they have a nice little family there. But anyway, the, <laughs> contentment for Joel was in a season, and God gave the contentment for a season, and then he gave the, uh, the spouse in another season. I remember talking to one of these other young ladies on the team, and they, 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 this young lady was discontent. And the reason I knew that is because um, we, we challenged them to pray about their discontentment. It's like, well, I have prayed, and, and God showed me that, that I'm going to marry Joel. And it's, I'm making a statement of faith. And I'm like, well, how do you know that? She's like, I read it in the Bible. Like, you read it in the Bible? Yeah, I opened my Bible this morning to the book of Joel. And I mean, there, God just spoke to me in his word that that was I'm like, no, no, that's, that's poor, poor um, exegesis of the Bible. So anyway, understand without discontentment, you can get all kinds of strange things going through your head. Contentment is something that you meet. Now I want you to flip over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to read um, some words from a single man named Paul. Now this is something you need to know about Paul. Paul was a former Pharisee. And we're not exactly sure about what Paul's former marital status is. We know that his marital status at the time that he wrote 1 Corinthians was single. But it's possible that he'd been previously married. Maybe he's a widow. Maybe his, his wife had passed away. Or he could have even been divorced. His wife may have uh, left him when he was radically converted to Christianity. And she said, you're nuts. And maybe she took off. And so we don't know, but uh, Paul is single at this point. He, we think he might've been married because he was a former Pharisee. And, and in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. So we're not sure without all that, the Bible really doesn't tell us all that, but I want you to notice what Paul's words say here in first Corinthians chapter seven, under the inspiration of the Holy spirit. He says this, I wish that all were as myself. How, what is that? What was his marital status? Single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Some have the kind of gift of a spouse, and some of us have the kind of gift of contentment. So everybody gets a different gift. Verse 8, 
To the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, you have to understand what a radical statement that was in that culture. In that culture, everybody was married. If you weren't married, you were a prostitute. That, that was the only other option. Every, because your social status, your significance, all had to do with your family, your heritage, and your legacy. It was so important that you just be connected to family. So when Paul says, it's not only okay... It's almost a benefit if you remain single. That was a radical statement. The Bible elevated singleness to a place it had never held. Look at verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. You see, if you've got temptations and you're struggling with sexuality and and you can't be self-controlled in that area then God's gift to you is a spouse. You need to go and pursue marriage. Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Speaking of marital status, do you understand that it's not an accident for you to have the marital status you have? It is something that God has assigned to you. Here's your assignment. I didn't like all the assignments I got in work. I didn't like all the assignments I got in, work, in, in school. This is an assignment by God because God knows best. Look at verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. What's he saying? Are you single? Don't be too eager to get married. Are you married? Don't be too eager to be single. You should be content in the state in which you are. Look at verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. You know, I was making singleness look really great there for a minute, right? And then we come down, Paul balances it out. You don't sin if you marry. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I'd spare you that. A lot of trouble comes with getting married, right? Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What's he saying? He's saying there is going to come a time when marriage is not going to matter. Wait, wait, Trent, you said marriage matters. Yeah, marriage matters, but it doesn't matter near as much as your vertical relationship with God. And marriage is a momentary thing while we're on earth, when Jesus comes and his kingdom is established, marriage is not going to matter anymore. Today, Pastor Trent reminded us that our contentment isn't found in our marital status, but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Harvest Bible Chapel is a church of vertically focused followers of Christ, passionately pursuing Jesus while living out the one another's of Scripture. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. For service times and campus locations, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. And if you're a Resonate listener living in Elkhart County, 
Looking for a vertical church in your community? We'd love to hear from you. Fill out the form at harvestgranger.org slash Elkhart so we can keep you posted as we explore the possibility of an extension campus in your area. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for being with us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.